Thank you very much for having me. It's a real privilege to be with you all uh, and indirectly be with all of the people at home. Um, we love you guys. Uh, we hear a huge amount about you from friends who attend the church, people in the past that have been here. Um, so it's a real privilege to be here with you this morning. Um, I'm here with uh, my wife, Laura, and our daughter, Evie, who's gone out to the children's work, so I'm expecting at any moment her to run back in in tears because she's suddenly afraid of being somewhere she's not used to. Um, but we've come across from Risca, which is in Wales, uh, which, uh, if any of you know Wales, if you've ever been to Cardiff, hands up if you've been to Cardiff? Okay, so you've pretty much all driven past Risca. You probably didn't know it, uh, but you would have driven past it because we're, we're on the road that you would have travelled to go from Bristol, uh, so up through to Bristol, across to Cardiff. Um, so it's a real privilege to be here. It's a real privilege to, to speak and share God's word, and it's a huge privilege uh, to be with you in amongst what you're talking about. And this idea of discipleship. Uh, at the start of the year, I felt hugely challenged in my own uh, kind of studies to, to consider recommitting to discipleship. It sounds like an odd thing for a minister to say. Um, but what it looked like to really focus in on it. Uh, and then it, perspired, it came to being that I was coming to speak and I spoke to Matt on the phone and he said, oh, we're doing discipleship if that's okay. I went, okay, God. <laughs> I definitely need to look at it in my own life. Uh, but it was a real encouragement. So before I begin, I do just want to say a huge thank to Ali. Uh, I've been on the other end of those phone calls uh, when you're contently sat enjoying the winter weather on a Saturday afternoon with no care in the world, only to find out you now need to put a plan in place to run church on Sunday morning. So Ali, thank you so much for handling all of this. Uh, to the guys that led worship, everything's just been a real privilege. Uh, so thank you. Over the Christmas period, I managed to get to the cinema. Now, I am a huge fan of film. I uh, enjoy going. I love the experience of it. I must confess, I am slightly less keen in this modern age. Uh, I don't know how many of you remember, but back in the day, which makes me sound old, but back in the day, the cinema used to be pitch black during the film. None of these safety lights down the aisles to make sure people could get to the bathroom. You were just locked in to the film. And I adore the cinema so much so that in sixth form I studied media studies. Um, and it's just one of those places that I love. So I had this privilege of going to the cinema again over Christmas. And I've grown up in a real golden age of cinema. So we're just going to watch some clips of some of the films that I've had the privilege of seeing and growing up amongst.
for the rest of the message. Everyone else at home has probably just gone, you know what, actually, seems like a good idea to watch a film this morning now Tim said that. I'm a huge fan of the cinema. I studied a huge number of those films uh, for my A-levels. So I was relishing this opportunity, and I very rarely get to go to the cinema anymore, but I was relishing this opportunity to go and see a film. And of course, over Christmas, there was a huge number of releases. The new James Bond film was finally released. There was going to be a fourth Matrix movie. The Echo, Echo One, sorry, was coming back in a new series of, or for the Ghostbusters. There was Spider-Man, June, West Side Story, House of Gucci, and Will Smith in King Richard, a film about the Williams sisters. So you can imagine my enthusiasm as a 38-year-old getting to go to the cinema. And what did I end up seeing at the cinema over the Christmas period? This. We're going to be late for school. About the dog? Clifford, hit the toy and drop it. Ooh, I'll see you. That's right. This 38-year-old wound up in the cinema watching Clifford the Big Red Dog. I took my five-year-old daughter to the cinema, and sadly, she is not as big a fan of the Matrix trilogy as I was. And so we went and watched Clifford. It's funny, isn't it? As we grow up, we strive for independence. We want to be able to make our own decisions, to break free of that stage of life where everything's dictated to for us. We want to be in charge. We want to step out of the shadows, stand on our own two feet. I'm sure many of you have got sayings that you've grown up hearing. The ruler of your own destiny. Look out for number one. My question is this. How does that worldly understanding of growing up fit with our faith? How does our faith fit into a model of this worldly desire to push on for independence? How does my desire to follow Jesus more closely work? The world told me as I grew up to be my own man, to make my own decisions, and to seek my own desires. Yet as I've fallen more in love with Jesus, I've become more aware that the way of Jesus doesn't work with the way of the world. The two stand in contrast to each other. My faith is about submitting to God. It's about sacrificial living, about promoting the well-being of others. It's the truth of going to the cinema and seeing Clifford, the big red dog, because that's what Evie wanted to see. It's about loving thy neighbour and loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you. It's about seeing the movies that you want to go and see, but being led by the hand of another making choices for the better of others. We heard those amazing passages. Thank you so much for reading for us this morning. In Matthew 16, we heard this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, those who want to come with me must say no to the things they want. Pick up their cross and follow me. Those who want to save their lives will lose them. But those who lose their lives for me will find them. 
Discipleship and discipline aren't words that are hugely used anymore. You may hear of an athlete being disciplined in their training. Or if your household is anything like ours, you will hear of a child being disciplined for being naughty. But the idea of showing discipline in our faith is one that has seemed to fade. Or the idea of truly being a disciple of Jesus. So it was an incredible encouragement, as I said, when I spoke to Matt on the phone and he said that you guys were looking at discipleship. That you guys had decided to take this focus. Now, I must confess, I'm not a big Hebrew theologian. Um, I know Ali is studying at Bristol Baptist College. Uh, I racked up five years in total of various Baptist colleges in my life, um, and I'm still not great at Hebrew. So um, I have a confession to make. This is very much something I've had to add on to my learning, not something that comes naturally to me. But I've picked up a Hebrew word of late, and it struck me really deeply. I'm going to just share with you a little bit about it. The word is Talmudim. Hands up if you've heard of Talmudim before. Okay, a few people. Superb. Now you can check whether I get it right or not. I was hoping no one would say yes. Um, so Talmudin is the word that we would understand for disciples. So it's this idea of being a disciple. It's the closest thing that we've kind of managed to draw a conclusion from. So how we understand it becomes crucial to our understanding of discipleship. This is how it would have been perceived in the Hebrew scripture. So this is the best explanation I could find for it. And I'm going to read it because I don't want to make a mistake. Because I think it's really important that we hear this. So Talmud is a disciple, someone who's following. There is much more to a Talmud than what we would call a student. A student wants to know what the teacher knows for the grade, to complete the class or the degree, or even out of respect for the teacher. A Talmud wants to be like the teacher. That is to become what the teacher is. That meant the students were passionately devoted to their rabbi and noted everything he did or said. That meant the rabbi's Talmud relationship was a very intense and personal system of education. As the rabbi lived and taught his understanding of the scripture, his students listened and watched and imitated so as to become like him. Eventually, they would become teachers, passing on a lifestyle to their Talmudim. The decision to follow a rabbi as a Talmud meant total commitment in the first century, as it does today. Since a Talmud was totally devoted to becoming like the rabbi, he would have spent his entire time listening and observing the teacher to know how to understand the scripture and how to put it into practice. You see, to be a disciple of Jesus isn't about learning everything so we can be right. It isn't this course that we take so we can get a grade A and a free pass into heaven. It is about a life of discipline and commitment to following Jesus in word, in action, in spirit, and in truth. For too long I was guilty growing up in church of knowing lots of good answers knowing a lot about Jesus. But how much I knew Jesus was what was important. How much we know Jesus is important. As I said, these aren't hugely popular thoughts. It's not the way the world likes us to think. The world likes us to have the look out for yourself mentality. Yet that passage in Matthew highlights some pretty important elements of how we should follow Jesus. 
Those who want to come with me must say no to the things they want. Those who want to come with me must say no to the things they want. You see, a life of faithfulness isn't about turning up to church on a Sunday, singing the songs and nodding along at the right times and doing what we want from Monday to Saturday. This life of faithfulness and discipleship isn't about logging on to all the Zoom meetings that we put on or all the broadcasts that the church does and then as soon as they finish clicking to leave and cracking on with life the way we want to. It isn't about necessarily what we do in here because it is far bigger and far greater than that. The end game of Jesus' time on earth wasn't simply to get us all to church on Sunday but to live lives that imitated his. Faith, like standing at the ticket window of the cinema, is about seeing that there is more than simply selecting what we want to watch. It is about more than simply doing what we want to do. It's about pushing down those selfish desires to not just be of the world because it's the easiest thing. And please hear this because this is crucial. It isn't simply because God is boring that he tells us to push down the things of the world. One of my favourite passages was read this morning, John 10.10. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Do I trust God enough to put down my desires, all of the things that I want for my life, in a belief that what he has for me is better than the best I could manage? Am I willing to put down those desires that I have for my life and say, you know what, God, I'm going to follow you so fully and trust you so deeply that I will put down my choices in exchange for your choices? Are we willing to take up all that Jesus has to offer us That passage tells us if we strive to find life ourselves, we will lose it. If we put it down, if we choose to truly follow Jesus, we will find a life we never imagined possible. So as we consider the new year and January, and I'm going to do that thing that I hated people doing whenever I was in public spaces towards the end of January, but who had made New Year's resolutions? Is there anyone going to admit it? Okay, there's a few people. Has anyone broken their news resolution yet? Okay, so you guys are good. I should come here. You're far more disciplined than I am. I mean, this bit's now for me and not for any of you, but you can listen in as I talk to myself. But we're at that point where we tend to find that all the new things we wanted to do, I'm going to go for a run every evening. I'm not going to buy scented candles every time I go to Sainsbury's. If you ever visit Moriah Baptist Church, where I am one of the pastors, you'll see there's a Greg's directly opposite. So one of mine every year is to eat less Greg's sausage rolls, uh, which I'm sadly lacking on already in January. But what would it look like if instead of saying, these are all the new things that I want to do, in 2022 we were a people who looked at some of the old things that Jesus did, What would it look like if we went backwards rather than forwards and found some of the old things that are so rich? If we committed to lives of discipleship, of being Talmudim? What instead of this idea of a new year and a new you? We instead look to the you 
God fearfully and wonderfully made? Why are we so desperate to find a new version of ourselves when the original version was crafted by God? Instead of a year where we throw around terms like independent woman and be your own man, instead of a year where we act because we want to and we take because we wanted it, what would it look like for us as a people if this year we decided what we would do is take what we have in here out there? What would it look like if we committed to some of the things that we do in church in the rest of our lives? What if we allowed our faith to become the priority every single day in every single decision? Can you imagine what your community would look like? Your place of work, the people you spend time with. If we truly let faith run through everything. If we truly let faith run through everything. I don't know what it's like for Matt and for others in ministry here, but I see the least number of non-Christians in my whole church. I spend so much time with other church leaders that I don't have a huge opportunity to live out a life of faith, it's very easy to look spiritual in a meeting full of church leaders. It's incredibly hard on a Monday when you go into work to stand by that truth that the way God calls us to live is counter to that of the world. To stand up against injustice. To speak out when something's not right. To do that thing, and if you're anything like me, where you see a situation and you think to yourself, I'll pray about that. Or maybe you go as far as telling someone, I'll pray for you. What would it look like if we became the people who prayed for them in the moment? It is dangerous. But I believe it is the call of discipleship that is placed upon us so much so in another one of those readings. Matthew 5.13, we heard this. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its taste, how will it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled on by people. You are the light of the world. A city cannot be hidden when it is located on a hill. We talk about salt and light a lot. But how good is salt once it loses its saltiness? And I'd ask you this, what is the value of light if it is never present in the darkness? We are called to much more than just gathering in this place. What we get to witness here, what we get to share with one another, needs to be exposed to a hurting world. People need to see Jesus through the way that we live. So when we get to those crossroad moments, when we have those decisions to make, we need to realise it is actually far simpler than sometimes we make it. Am I going to choose my way? Or am I going to choose his way? Ironically, I was a child of the 90s, so I grew up with that huge trend of bands that had WWJD on them. And so throughout the 90s, I would always wear it as a badge of honour. What would Jesus do? That faded very quickly. I think they were on to something. I think my life, personally, would look far better. I would be far more in tune with God if I stopped more often and wondered, what would Jesus do? What would he do in this situation? How would he love? How would he show hospitality? How would he pray? How would he forgive? We need to be in those moments and feel the nudge of the Holy Spirit and choose my version of life or his offer of life 
and life to the fullest. As we grow old, we strive for independence. We move out. We stay up late. We eat all the food that we want to eat. We have this desire. The world champions it. An endless pursuit of self. Yet as we grow in our faith, as we follow Jesus more closely, we learn a dependence on God, not on self. We become more dependent on the Spirit. We become more dependent on the family of God. We realize as we grow in our spiritual lives that actually it's far less about me and far more about us and far more about what God is doing to commit to being Talmudin. Not just a knower of godly things. but Someone who knows Jesus. A committed follower. This isn't about, and I can say this far easier because Matt's not with us, but this isn't about Matt or some other Christian leader becoming some guru that leads you on a quest up a mountain. That's not what this is about. This is about you as an individual meeting Jesus in a personal way. And those of you who are sat here saying, you know what, I know Jesus. It's going, you know what, I could know him more. And I can say that with full confidence because those of you who know him the best, who are closest to him, who walk with him every day, there is still more. I promise you that. And those of us who struggle in our days, we can know actually, it's not because Jesus is absent, it's because I'm not following him quite as closely as maybe I could. I've come to give life and life to the fullest. I think personally, and as I've seen across my time in churches, is one of the promises that we ignore the most frequent. Because often my life doesn't look like life to its fullest. Why? Stood at the box office, I've decided to go my way, to see the films I want, not to be nudged by the Spirit and hearing what God's saying to me. I want to close with this little section. Just remember those amazing words from Matthew 28. Wherever you go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to do everything I have commanded you. And remember that I am with you always, until the end of time. A few things Jesus doesn't say in this passage, that the church sometimes can be guilty of. Jesus does not say to go out and make little versions of us. It's not what Jesus calls us to do. He doesn't tell us to go and make good church attendees. There is no breakdown of how we make people into prayer warriors. In fact, Jesus doesn't tell us to go and make great Christians. There is no formula of how we should go about converting someone. Instead, we see this Beautiful, simple, cool. Jesus calls us, his followers, disciples of him, to bring others into relationship with him. The call on our lives is to simply, in many ways, example Jesus so well that people want to meet with him. The way we live our lives raises so many questions in people's lives that their only response is, you know what, Tim is a good guy, but there is something more about him, and I want to know what it is that's more, and that is my Jesus. That's the call on our lives. This passage does not tell me that I need to make sure all of you respond perfectly to this message to validate the message. This passage tells me what I need to do is somehow communicate my love for Jesus 
pray that draws you closer in your relationship with him. It is all about being a disciple of Christ. Living with a set of disciplines that draw you closer and deeper in your faith. Please hear this. They aren't so you can gauge how spiritual you are. We don't draw closer so we can look better. We don't draw closer so that we can judge others and sit there in our seats and look across and go, first time they've been here in a month. They weren't singing very loudly. That's not why we draw closer to Jesus. We do it in church. I'm guilty of it. It's not why I draw closer to Jesus. To be a disciple of Christ calls on us to be disciplined in our prayer lives. Not just here, but at home. In the quiet, in the stillness, in the private. To be a disciple of Christ calls on us to be disciplined in our reading of the word. I challenge you, if this is the only time that you open your Bible or hear it spoken about or read text from it, add it into your daily lives. It is incredibly rich. I'm 38. I can say with full confidence, and I hope this isn't recorded, last year was the first time I read the Bible cover to cover. That's why I took five years at Bible college. It's the first time I read it cover to cover, and it was amazing. There's so much in there that you don't realize you know, and you don't know why you know it. It's because it's there. The call to be a disciple of Christ is to be a people who worship. It is a call to be people who bless, a people who show hospitality, who don't simply look at Jesus and pick the bits we like best, but to commit our lives to following him wholeheartedly, so closely the dust of his sandals would fall on us. The call on each and every one of us is to live lives that imitate Christ. It's easy to say in here. Easy to think about in here. What does it look like tomorrow, at one o'clock in the afternoon when you're tired, you've not had enough coffee, someone's annoying you? What does it look like in those moments to imitate Christ, to know him so well, to follow him so closely that we respond in a way that glorifies him? As I close, I could have forced Evie to come and watch The Matrix with me. I could have. It would have been hugely irresponsible as a parent, but I could have. And I would have loved every minute of the film other than when she was crying that she was scared. But I would have loved it. I could have made her go and I would have loved it. But the truth is this. It wasn't about what I wanted for me, but what I wanted for her. The decision I made was not for my best interest, but the best interest of her. I am the adult. I get to call the shots. But yet I choose to place the needs and the wants of others above my own. I appreciate it is a ridiculously simplistic way of viewing it. That model of choosing to go to the cinema and not watching what we want. But I believe it's a model that helps us understand these three closing points. The first shall be last. The first shall be last. To be the greatest, we must become the lowest. Possibly one of my favourite things about my personal walk with Jesus. My Jesus, my Saviour, was a servant king. Are we people willing to put others first? To live lives that look like Jesus? To follow him more closely? To take it beyond this building and these comfortable places to the lives we live 
Monday through Saturday. I'm going to pray for us. Father God, I want to thank you that no matter where we are, no matter our standpoint with you, there is more. There is a life to the fullest. So I pray for each and every one of us. And I pray very specifically for these guys here. Would you help them as they journey this discovery of discipleship? Father, from those of us that can sit here going, I grew up in church. I know all there is to know. Would we desire to know you more? And God, for those who feel intimidated because maybe they've only really engaged with the Sunday school stories of Jesus, would they know there is so much more? God, I thank you that as we've read today in those passages and as we see throughout your word, this isn't about me. It is all about you. The call on my life is to follow you closely so that through my actions people see you. I want to pray for this fellowship. Would they be a people that shine a light upon their saviour? God, would this be a church that is a beacon of hope in this community? Father God, would there be people doing outrageous things on rivers and with axes and arrows, God, and would that point to a saviour? A sacrificial act, something that is just very different, but done for the benefit of others. God, would you bless this church? Father, would each of us find something we can commit to? An old practice to draw closer to you. 